I know that if I were to die today, I would be trending on social media and people would be celebrating my death. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Changes with me, Annie McManus. It's great to have you here. Let's get straight to it. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. There's a good chance you will have been surprised to see the name of today's guest on the episode page. That's because, as you have just heard, Perez Hilton is not especially popular these days. If you're too young to really know who Perez is and why people might hate him, well, let me explain. Perez Hilton pioneered the online celebrity gossip blog and brought tabloid journalism to new levels of nastiness. In the mid to late 2000s, he was renowned for a particular type of commentary on show business. He traded in sex tapes, public disgraces, secret affairs, and he had a kind of unique process. He would scrawl doodles and comments on paparazzi images of celebrities in compromised positions. Slut, ugly, disgusting were words he threw around without even thinking twice. One of his chief targets was Britney Spears. When Britney had her very own public mental health breakdown, Perez was right there. To quote an article in The Times that inspired me asking Perez onto this podcast, Hilton called her a mess and an unfit mother. As she spiralled towards a breakdown in 2008, his numbers exploded. After Heath Ledger died, Hilton linked to a t-shirt with the slogan, Why Couldn't It Be Britney? As the Britney saga continues to unfold, there's a lot of renewed anger at Perez and the role he played in villainizing her as she went through a really horrible time. And to give him credit, Perez is holding his hands up and trying to take responsibility for his actions. He feels a lot of shame, a lot of regret over the way he conducted himself, and he doesn't expect anyone to forgive him. But he does believe that he's a different person now, that something fundamental shifted in him. So I suppose the reason I wanted to speak to Perez is partly because this is a show about change. And if someone says they've been through a real massive change, then I want to hear them out. And it's partly because I think the thing that Perez Hilton represented back in the mid-2000s, it goes beyond just him as a person. It's about our culture as a whole and the ways that has and has not changed. It's easy enough to look at Perez Hilton as a villain and an outlier, but a lot of us participated in that culture that he came to symbolise and that still exists today. Think of the Daily Mail sidebar of shame and full disclosure, it's a culture I participated in to some extent. When Nick Grimshaw and myself had our first show on BBC Radio 1, a show called Switch, Perez Hilton would phone in regularly for a weekly gossip update from Los Angeles. So that's where we started in our conversation. Try to keep an open mind here as we welcome to the podcast, Perez Hilton. I think back so fondly of our time together ages ago, back when I used to call into your show and I was in studio a few times. That was super fun. We all grew up together. You, me, Nick Grimshaw. And thankfully, we're all still here and and doing doing our thing. (laughs) 
So that was back in 2007. We used to speak regularly, Perez, from the very first show that I did with Nick Grimshaw, Switch, it was called back then, a Sunday night show. Perez, you were our regular gossip contributor, giving us all the lowdowns from Hollywood and what was going on over there. Had you fully taken off then? 2007 was a pivotal year for me. I was very much alone and my career was thriving. I was kind of an it girl. (laughs) So what was going on then professionally in terms of the blog? You know, what were you covering? Can you remember anything big from that year? It was a year unlike any I've seen in pop culture, maybe until 2016, at least in America, when it was... Donald Trump, everything, every day, you know, leading up to the presidential election Um, in 2007, you know, it was Britney Spears going through a lot of difficult times. It was the Kim Kardashian sex tape. It was Lindsay Lohan being arrested. It was Paris Hilton being arrested. Every conceivable scandal that you could imagine went down in 2007. Wow. So good time to have a gossip blog. You know, that Framing Britney Spears documentary featured an old clip of mine. And it made me cringe because I I basically said something along the lines of what you said, which is, I said it back in 2007, Britney being bad is good for my business. And now as somebody that's in their mid 40s, Thankfully, I think I have more understanding of life and people and more empathy and compassion. While I believe that to be true then, and unfortunately, while that still is probably true, saying something like that just seems so cold. And, you know, I would rather Brittany still be happy and boring and me not talking about her than still having like four documentaries about Britney Spears in 2021. And it feels like everybody is once again in a different way doing the same thing to Britney Spears, only this time masquerading it all with the pretext of trying to help her. Yeah. So listen, there's so much to talk about. But if you don't mind, can we backtrack a bit? Yeah. I would like I'd like to get context in you as a person, the Mario pre Perez, before Perez was even a thing. And look back a bit. You grew up in Miami, right? Yes. What are your memories of early childhood? What do you remember from that time? I parent a certain way, clearly because of how I was raised. And I love my mother and I know that she was doing her best based on her own experience and what she knew. I grew up during a time when being gay was still not accepted, especially growing up in Miami in a Latino community and a religious community on top of that. I went to an all-boy Jesuit school for seven years from 6th through 12th grade. But yeah, growing up in Miami, it was a very different experience to now The only person I ever saw growing up in the early 90s 
that was gay and on television was this one reality TV star. His name was Pedro Zamora. He was on the real world San Francisco. And when he kissed his boyfriend, that was the first time I ever saw a same sex kiss on television. And it was groundbreaking and so impactful. But I don't have the fondest memories of Miami. And that's probably one of the reasons why as soon as I turned 18, I got the heck out of there and I went to New York City. Right, right. Okay, I want to ask you one of the questions we ask everyone here on Changes Perez. What was the biggest change that you went through as a child? When my dad died, I was very young. I was 14. So a few things happened after my dad died. He died very suddenly. He had an aneurysm, so it was not something that we could prepare for. It was unexpected. He also died seven days after my grandfather died. And my grandfather wasn't just my grandfather. He really was a second dad to me because he lived with us. When my dad died, I don't even know if it's changed that much. Hopefully it has as, you know, first generation Latino Americans are more American, perhaps, than their parents are. But for the older generation of Cubans and Latinos across the United States, therapy is such an Anglo concept. Latinos, many of them just don't do therapy. They don't even talk about their feelings. That's not something you do. My mom and I never talked about my dad's death or how I'm feeling or what that means. And I am not judging her for that. My mother was just trying to keep it together and survive because in one week she lost her dad and her husband that was the love of her life. And I said this in my memoir, and I believe it. And once again, no judgment, because I do know my mom loves me. If God were real and came down to earth and gave my mother a choice, your husband dies or your son dies, I know my mom would have chosen me to die. (laughs) Whoa, Perez, that's a very deep thing to say. My mom would probably say that that's the truth. She lo- It was more than a love. Like my parents. So, but what was her relationship with you like? It wasn't the warmest. No. I remember I, I was 12 years old and Latinos love to gamble. <laughs> so okay. we would play this thing called Loteria, which was kind of like our bingo. And we would play for money. So I would win and you would win real money. And it was like, wow, I I won $60. Wow, this is crazy. So there was one year at age 12 or right around there, I saved enough money to go to the shopping mall behind my house to buy my mother a birthday present. So I went by myself. I walked to the mall behind us and I went to this jewelry store and I bought her some earrings. And I was so excited to give her the earrings and she opened them and she said, oh, These are beautiful, but they're cubic zirconium and I only wear real diamonds. And that crushed me. I went straight to my bathroom, locked myself in the bathroom and very dramatically threw myself on the floor of the bathroom, started crying. (laughs) So then, you know, it, it, you know, my, my dad died, who was the nurturer. I was going to say, what was your relationship with your father? Yeah. Yeah. He was... Which is not your typical Latino male thing. You know, my dad was very affectionate, very generous, 
the smartest man I knew, even though he wasn't, quote, educated, he never went to college, but he would read the newspaper from front to end every single day. And yeah, so that was really devastating for me. And my mom never put me in therapy. So what I did for myself was I drowned my being in the television because this was pre-internet. But the, the TV was both my savior and a crutch because I never dealt with what was going on. I buried it in the back of my brain and I never processed it or healed from it. And that really was the birth of Perez Hilton. I had always liked television, but I never started watching it the unhealthy amounts that I did after my dad died. You know, from that point on, I would watch TV like 12 hours a day. And and no one would tell you to stop? They should. I mean, you would think that, right? Like, I never had a, a curfew. My mom never really cared how much sleep I was getting because it seemed like with minimal effort, I got straight A's. Right. Hey, so you say Perez Hilton was born around those years, but when did Perez Hilton... Like, when did you actually put that into effect? So I started blogging and Perez was born a lifetime ago, which was September of 2004. And let me give you a little context. There was no Instagram. There was no YouTube. There was no Twitter. And there was no celebrity blogs, really, right? No. And in fact, nobody was really covering celebrities online. But people who did have blogs back then... It was very much just like a journal, their diary. Like, oh, I went on a date and my date was awful and yada, 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 whatever it might be. And I just knew right away that that didn't interest me. I knew from the very beginning when I started as a hobby out of curiosity, I wanted to talk about celebrities that because they were, to me, a lot more interesting than I was. And your process, like with Perez, Hilton.com, was unique to you because you became famous for the doodling, the writing on the photos. It was quite an extreme kind of place to go where it wasn't just kind of educational. It was learning what you thought, like you were writing things like unfit mother or slut or whatever. These kind of now looking back, actually quite shocking, like, whoa, words on photos. I'm interested in like your identity, Mario versus Perez Hilton. Like, how did those two identities work? When I was in Perez Hilton mode, I was reckless. I did not care about the consequences of my actions. And I would feed myself BS talking points, lame untruths in order to justify to myself what I was saying. I would say things like, well, I'm just saying what everybody else is thinking. We're all thinking it. I'm just saying it out loud. Or I would tell myself, if somebody doesn't like what I write, they shouldn't read it. Or I would say things like, well, Perez is just a character. It's not who I really am. And that's all BS. I now with age understand and take full accountability for everything that I did. I did an interview for the Times in the UK, and I told that journalist that I I believe I'm irredeemable in the eyes of many. And that's okay. I'm not even asking for forgiveness. I don't I don't 
know if I would even forgive. I mean, I would forgive myself because of my experience. But if I were not me, if I'm putting myself in, you know, somebody else's life, I don't know if I would forgive me, especially because of what I'm about to tell you, which I believe in full transparency and honesty. At the time, I was behaving worse than a child. I was a cruel adult. I I wasn't a teenager. I knew what I was doing was wrong and I didn't care. I did it anyways. And I was rewarded for my bad behavior. So my brain was saying, well, I know what I'm doing is bad. I know I shouldn't be doing this, but people are loving it. People are eating this up. The public, the media, it made no sense. But I, I was like, well, all right, well, I got to keep doing this. And then it got even more. And it was like more and worse. And it it never started off so vicious. It, it became even nastier and meaner and crueler over the years because toxicity feeds upon itself. The more negative you are, the more negative you become. And, you know, I wish that I could go back in time and do things differently I would, and people might not believe in that, but I, I would do things differently because I, I could still give my opinion like I do now. And listen, I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes, but the big difference is I don't sit down and think, okay, what can I do to say the, like, the most hurtful, crazy, wildest, shocking thing to try to get a rise out of a celebrity or my readers? You know, I was purposefully malicious. Now I make mistakes, hopefully not as much, clear, uh, definitely not as much as the past, but it's not ever my intention to throw a rock at somebody and aim it at their head and try to get them to bleed. I'm interested, Perez, in like, so like, I didn't ask you on here for you to have to feel like you had to like defend yourself or anything like that. I'm sure that you're very used to having to do that and people being like, how do you live with yourself and all that? I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in where the fuck it all came from. Sure. How did you end up being that person that kind of, to me, when you look at it from the outside, it feels like a self-destruct mode. It feels like you, yes, you were rewarded on a surface level, but personally you were vilified you were pushing people away deliberately. Um, I didn't realize that until, unfortunately, far too late. Um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I think, you know, not it does not excuse my behavior at all. But yeah, um, maybe it might explain it. I, I got back into therapy at the end of last year and, you know, that cliche of childhood trauma, you know, so much of my act, so many of my actions, so much of my behavior really stems from that. And that feeling of life wronged me and injustice and also my brain and my emotional maturity, I think for a long maybe even still to this day probably has been stunted at 14 years old <laughs> like i probably have the emotional and mental maturity of a 14 year old because of that cataclysmic double horrificness of my grandfather and my dad 7 days later and i naively and foolishly used to think 
of my job as, you know, I'm not just nasty. I'm not only negative. I do have the people that I champion that I am a big fan of and that I talk positively of. I used to stupidly, this is one of my other talking points of the time. You know, it's like a soap opera, you know, and I'm the director and writer and I've got my heroes and I've got my villains. And I used to not see these people as real people. But then, but then you became you became friends with a lot of the people that you featured on your blog. Like you were friends with Gaga for a while, you, you know. Yeah. And I used to think, wow, I'm so disliked that if somebody is willing to put their neck out and take the crap that comes with being my friend... They must genuinely want to be my friend. Only all these years later do I realize it was a lot of, you know, I think people using me and yada, yada, yada. And also, hey, me using them, too. It was a parasitic symbiotic relationship. Like, you know, even before Gaga, Paris Hilton took me under her wing. And I remember... All of my readers at the time were telling me, because people back in the early 2000s did not like Paris Hilton. And people were telling me, oh, she's just using you. And I wish I could have been transparent with them and said, duh, I know she's using me and I'm using her back. (laughs) You know, but later on, I thought naively that a lot of people, you know, wanted to be my friend. And, you know, you learn the hard way through the ups and the downs of showbiz that you have, you might have some showbiz friends, but a lot of showbiz friends are really fickle. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Was there any big changes that happened to you that that really hammered home that you had become over time this kind of figure of hate? Yeah, the moment that pushed me to change was in the fall of 2010, six years into my career. In America, there was this rash of gay teenagers that were dying by suicide. And we had never seen anything like that before. And thankfully, we have not seen anything like that since then. 
I think in two or three months, there were more than 20 LGBTQ teens that died by suicide. This journalist named Dan Savage created this campaign called It Gets Better, which I found out about. I think the day that he launched it, I saw a press release and I believe I was the first personality or public figure to make an It Gets Better video. And I thought, wow, in this moment of darkness, I'm doing something positive. But the response that I got shook me to my core because the comments truly were eye-opening. Almost every comment said, how dare you make an It Gets Better video? You're part of the problem. You're a hypocrite. You're a bully. And why were they saying that? Give us context because people won't know the context of that. Oh, everything from how I spoke about celebrities, you know, attacks to the, you know, unnecessary talking about their bodies to the stupid nicknames, the stupid doodling, the outing celebrities that I used to do, everything. It was inexcusable. That's why I'm irredeemable. Um, I, I, under, I, I accept it. That is my fate. And it does not hurt me because it's not happy. It's, I'm not happy about it. But I know, uh, thankfully, I'm blessed with you know, a wonderful private family life. But I know that if I were to die today, I would be trending on social media and people would be celebrating my death. They would be happy that I'm dead. They'd be like, he caused so many people so much pain. He was a toxic human being. The world is better off without him. And there might be some people that are like, well, uh, hopefully his kids are taken care of or they might feel bad for the kids. But the overwhelming majority of people would celebrate. And it is what it is. I made that change back in 2010, which is something that I had been thinking of for a while. Before that. And what was the change that you made? So the change was just to not do things that way anymore, to still do my job. You know, I compare it to I did not reinvent the wheel. I just put new rims on it. You can see when you have really veered off track, even if it takes you a long time and you can change course, um, you know, in the most honest and relatable way. Once again, this does not justify my behavior. It was still criminal, I would say. Comparing it to another act of crime. Let's say you're a heroin addict and you steal from your coworker or your mother or your neighbors to get money to buy more drugs. You know what you're doing is wrong, but you do it anyways. And that drug, that attention, that reward for my negative behavior was so strong that even though I knew what I was doing was wrong, I didn't care. I kept doing it anyways until that point in 2010. I'm struck by something that you said, Perez, that that thing that you said about if you died today, what people would say online, like, how does that affect you? Well, one of the great things that I've taken from therapy is I have um, flipped the narrative. Yes, this is what I used to tell myself prior to therapy. So 2020 and before, everybody would celebrate if I'm dead. Everybody hates me. Like the, the overwhelming majority of people hate me, blah, blah, blah. But in th- through therapy, it's just the nice reminder of, you know what? Yes, that is what I think is true. But not everybody hates me. Not 
everybody thinks I'm as awful as a Bill Cosby or a Harvey Weinstein or an R. Kelly or whatever it might be. Some people, the ones that have grown with me that have, you know, stuck around uh, are able to see me for who I am today. But it's a lot easier to just keep me in the prison cell that is the past. And and like, that's another thing that I was struck by just kind of looking at your socials and stuff over the last few days is that these kind of expressions from people of hate, like they retweeted the Sunday Times article and say a nasty thing about you or whatever. And I'll retweet them. Yes. <laughs> why do you, why do you do that? Like, what, you know, you'd retweeted this clip of Jay Leno describing you as a snake in some silly Q quiz thing. Like, why do you feel the need to kind of perpetuate this kind of narrative of, of you being a hated guy? In the spirit of full transparency, I can we curse on your podcast? Fuck yeah. Okay. I don't have fuck you money in the bank. I made a lot of mistakes in my early years. So yeah, I don't have fuck you money in the bank. So I know that for me, any attention, even if it's negative, is only positive. Is how I view it. Because 17 years later, I'm still here. I'm not that it girl anymore. I'm not hot. I don't have as many social media followers as a 16-year-old might that's, you know, very famous right now. But Perez Hilton is an icon. And Perez Hilton is forever. But are you not, like, does that not put you in this position of, as you say, like, if you have to have exposure in order to, like, do you never feel like you just want to fucking switch off? Oh, absolutely. You're trapped in this kind of world of having having to be seen and heard. Yes. Oh, my God. Nothing would make me happier. But it sucks because we talk about this in therapy. <laughs> and he's right. like, you need to focus on what you have. Okay. And I have more yeah. than, I have more than enough. Okay. I'm blessed. I have more than I could ask for. But if I had that F you money in the bank, that fuck you money in the bank, I often dream and fantasize about what life I would be living. It would look very different to the life that I live now. Not only would I not be retweeting negative attention, but I might ghost for extended periods of time. Like even when I go on vacation now, I have to work. I watched it. I watched the kids in the in Lake in Vegas. <laughs> like I'm, I'm constantly hustling. Like the only vacations I take are paid vacations. Like last year I did, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, Australia. So I was not with my phone or laptop for a few weeks. And that was great. <laughs> it actually was a vacation for me. Perez, would you ever consider doing something else? Like it, freeing yourself from this cycle? I just, I, what I would love, what I hope, what I'm praying for and what I am trying for, um, and I have done is like that full circle moment. You know, I went to school for acting. I would love to do more acting. Yeah. You got a scholarship to NYU, right? I mean, you must've, you must've been very good. Yeah. I mean, it was that plus academics, you know, as a combination, right. um, 
I would love to just be a full-time actor. That would be great. Um, and normal-ish, you know, like I could clock in and clock out and have, you know, a, a doing a TV show. Like that's the dream to do a TV show because then they have like two months off vacation and I could be an even better dad. Like I know, I know I am a great father, but I also know that I work too hard. And I w- would love to be able to devote even more time to my children. I mean, I asked you about an, an adult change before we spoke and you said the arrival of your children being the biggest impact of change. I mean, you took on three children. You fathered three children as a single parent. Thank God I did not have four. I really thought I was going to have four. Like that, that is a, that is a real, you know, brave undertaking. Like what? what? <laughs> why? I'll tell you the why. A few reasons why. And once again, people might judge me for this. Okay, there's a few things. First, I felt the need to have my own biological children as a way to bring my dad back, as a way to keep him, as a way to keep him alive. And, you know, one of the biggest blessings of my life is whenever I look at my son, I see my dad because my son looks more like my dad than he does me. Wow. My son looks exactly like my father and has the same demeanor and temperament, shy, reserved, the opposite of me. That's who my dad was. <laughs> my mom is the loud, crazy, flamboyant one, and I got that from right. her. So that's why I wanted to have biological children. I also wanted to have three because here in Los Angeles, I don't have any family. I wanted them to have family and more than just one other person that they could rely on. You know, I wanted them to at least have two other people that they could really rely on. And I like to think of myself as a pragmatic person, an optimist who's also a realist. You can have three kids and there's a lot of different things that can happen. You know, I ended up thankfully back with my mom And now that I'm living with her again and that she's here, I could not imagine life without her. But when I was in New York and for my first few years in Los Angeles, I didn't think it was that big of a deal to live away from my mom. But now I, you know, that family importance is everything to me. Uh, But, you know, my kids are their own people and one of them might move away or two of them might move away. But if you have three... Mm-hmm. then at least one of them might stay in Los Angeles. So I'm not completely alone. So you talk openly about and always, you know, always have recently about how you feel the world sees you. And you talk about the celebrities and the gay community and people kind of coming out against you. How do you feel about you? Do you like yourself now in 2021 as a 43 year old man? I love myself. I love myself and I give myself grace um, and understanding. That's not to say I'm living the fullest thriving life in every aspect of that. I I don't have a partner. I would like that. 
I don't even have that many friends. I would like to be more social. But then again, I don't want to be more social to the detriment of my children or to the detriment even of my own health. Okay, so Perez, last question, and I'm going to let you go. What change would you most like to make moving forwards in your life? I would love that financial freedom, you know, like I would love that fuck you money. It's, you know, if I had my fuck you money, like one of my dreams, I'll share with you one of my dreams that will happen. It will happen because you don't need permission. One of my, actually my all time favorite musical is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I relate to that character so much. The freak, the outsider, the misunderstood, but somebody who's, I think, on the inside, a decent, nice, kind person. But life has been hard for her. And at the end comes out this survivor that's sharing her wisdom to the world. Um, I would love to perform that in a show in Los Angeles in a 50-person theater. I'm not making any money doing it. And it would require so much time to learn a one-person show. But that would make me so happy. You know, part of me even feels like I have those thoughts of like just retiring and moving to the middle of nowhere and just being a full-time dad. But then... If I do totally ghost and become a full-time dad, it will be near impossible for me in 14 years to kind of re-enter the entertainment world and start working again. But why would you want to do that? What else would I do? I don't know. Well, the, the world's your oyster. You're I smart. Don't know. I don't know what else I would do. If I did, I would be doing it right now. <laughs> what would your kind of 15, 16-year-old self think now? Oh, how cool. He gets to go to see all of these shows for free and he gets invited yeah. and he gets to go to these premieres and do all these things. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's what he would have thought. That probably is what keeps me going. But listen, like I said, another one of my fantasies is to really be acting again and be on a sitcom. I would love to be on a sitcom playing a lovable character and it would have to be a pop culture sensation, a global Like smash. a Moira Stewart from Schitt's Creek. Or exactly. Something. Like a Schitt's yeah. Creek or a Modern Family or a Glee. Mm. If mm. I were to do that, that would not erase my past. I don't want that. It will not happen. I'm not dumb or naive. But me being in that global sensation, playing a lovable character, people's perception of me would change. Instantly, in a heartbeat. Because honestly, other than the sitcom, which is like my fantasy, I don't know what could, I don't know what it will take. I don't even think time. Because, and this is a lesson for young people, for your child, you know, the internet is forever. And, and I, and I'm not trying to erase my past either. That's why I haven't gone in and deleted all of my old horrible posts. I didn't take it down. I am immensely ashamed, regretful of my past. I own it. I accept it. I deserve people's feelings and reactions towards me. 
and it has been a long time since I've changed. So I don't even think another 30 years will ever change because I've become this symbol, not a scapegoat. A scapegoat means I don't deserve it. I'm not a scapegoat, but it's almost easier to blame me uh, because I'm a person, you know, instead of saying, oh, like people don't remember, like, don't get it twisted. It wasn't just me at the time. The entire media was very different in the early 2000s. Do you feel like the burden is on you of blame? It feels like that. And that's okay. That's okay. I can't, I'm not going to, I'm not, nothing I can do will ever change that. But I also find that there's so much hypocrisy mm. and it saddens me that we are living in this day and age when not even towards me, but it seems like many people's first go to their initial reaction is to cancel mm. somebody. And the hypocrisy is not lost on me. You know, when this year, rightfully so there has been a re focus on Britney Spears and this reckoning for everybody that made life very difficult for her in the past. I am one of those people. But then a lot of the people that are holding me accountable are doing it by bullying me and wishing me death threats and doing it in the most toxic and vile way. How does that in 2021 make you any better than who I was back then? It doesn't. Mm. Yeah, it's like it's a kind of cycle, isn't it? I mean, I would almost love like to ghost social media. Well, why don't you? Because I don't have I don't have that f you money. Yet. I like follow you on Twitter, and I went on Twitter before we spoke, and uh, you had posted like so many tweets, like in the space of when you woke up this morning and when we spoke today. I was like, whoa, this guy is prolific on Twitter. I'm like, prolific everywhere across social media. It must be fucking media. exhausting, though. Oh, it is. I constantly feel like I'm drained. Yeah. But yes, I would love. I would love to ghost social media or have somebody handle things for me or just be so busy being an entrepreneur or dad or this or the other. Like hmm. I want to continue to evolve and grow and I'm ready for that next chapter and I'm seeking that and I'm trying to manifest it and I'm hoping to rush it along, but I'm you know <laughs> just being patient and I'm doing the best that I can. I get down, I feel hot, feel on the verge of going mad, and then it's time to punch the clock. Well, that was quite the roller coaster. I think you'll agree. I know that a lot of you will have opinions about the conversation you have just heard. Please do share them with me on my Instagram. You can find me there on Annie McManus and pass this conversation on to someone who you think would like to hear it. Next time on Changes, Lisa Nealon suffered a life-changing injury in childhood and spent years struggling with the consequences. But her story did not stop there. Be warned, things got a little weepy with this one. Even my producer, Frank Palmer, was crying. All right, that's next time. See you then. Have a wonderful week. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.